Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry, and today we're visiting with Ichao Rui from the Rodale Institute. Hey, Ichao. Hello, Aaron. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for having me. Dr. Yichao Rui oversees soil health research at the Rodale Institute, a nonprofit research and education organization that has been widely recognized as the global leader of regenerative agriculture. His research interest is focused on improving soil health and environmental sustainability through regenerative practices. Yichao holds a Bachelor of Science in Biology from Nankai University and a PH and PhD degrees in microbial ecology and soil science from the University of Chinese Academy of Sciences in Griffith University. Before joining Rodale Institute, Yi Chao worked at, in the University of Western Australia and the University of Wisconsin-Madison on a variety of projects evaluating the impacts of climate change, land use, and management strategies on soil organic matter stability nutrient cycling, and microbial activity. Having lived and worked in three different continents, now he lives in Allentown, Pennsylvania with his wife, Sophia, and their two sons, seven-year-old Tristan and three-and-a-half-year-old Winston. During his spare time, he enjoys hiking with his family in the Appalachians, running and playing chess and basketball with his boys. Uh, it's so great to have this opportunity to visit with you and Obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about the work and the research that you do, including uh, this very important white paper that uh, you just co-authored and that was just uh, released by Rodale with some other uh, collaborating partners. And uh, before we before we dive into all of that, I just I want to ask because you and I were speaking before we started recording um, about your sons Tristan and Winston. We were talking about how we both enjoy playing chess with our sons, and. Uh, I said, gosh, those, those names don't sound like Chinese names. And, and you said, well, they do have Chinese names. So I was thinking if uh, you didn't mind telling us their Chinese names, it would be great to hear that. Yes, uh, they are Tristan Le Shan Rui and Winston Le Tian Rui. So these Chinese names come from Confucius old sayings uh, 2,000 years back in Chinese history. And beautiful. And what, what do they signify? So Le Shan means someone who loves mountains, and Le Tian means someone who loves the sky. And if I, would have a, if I could have a girl, I would name her Le Shui, which is also said by the Confucius, means who loves water. Oh, that's so beautiful. Okay, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, let's, let's jump right into this, and I, I want to kick off by asking you to give us a, a quick summary on this white paper and why it's important, uh, just so that we give our audience an idea of, of where we're heading in this discussion. Um, and then I want to circle back and ask you a bit about your background and uh, your perspective on things, given um, the different places that you've lived and worked. But yeah, if you could please summarize the white paper for us, that would be really appreciated. Sure. Uh, this new white paper by Rodale Institute named uh, Regenerative Agriculture and the Soil Carbon Solution. It's really you know, happening in a time that climate change or the climate crisis is happening at an unprecedented uh, speed. 
So this white paper identified the potential of regenerative agricultural practices to sequester carbon, improve soil health, and feed the world, as well as actionable steps for eaters, farmers, and policymakers to take to increase the adoption of regenerative food and farming and mitigate the climate crisis. And in this new white paper, we compile new scientific breakthroughs and evidence around soil carbon sequestration to identify that shifting both crop and pasture management globally to regenerative system is a powerful solution to draw down carbon dioxide emissions, pulling carbon from the atmosphere and storing it in the soil. We also show that crop yields in regenerative systems have been shown to outcompete conventional yields for most of our food crops, providing that regenerative agriculture can feed the world while stabilizing the climate, regenerating ecosystems, restoring biodiversity, and enhancing rural communities. That's so beautiful. It's such a hopeful message. And I was struck that uh, at the beginning of the white paper, there's a quote uh, essentially saying, hey, this is not another uh, research paper filled with a message of doom and gloom, but is in fact an invitation to participate in these uh, solutions and opportunities that are now well proven and that have a myriad of uh, benefits uh, that accrue to communities, to the land, to the climate, etc. Um, what, what, a, what a joy. You must uh, feel great, I imagine, uh, working every day on these issues, knowing that there is a real pathway of hopefulness here. Sure, absolutely. And as some of you probably know that, the term regenerative agriculture was first uh, proposed in the 1980s. And, but some of you already know that Rodale Institute is widely recognized as the birthplace of organic agriculture in the United States. It was founded in 1947. And starting 1980s, we started to propose the term regenerative agriculture because that was a time when conventional industrial agriculture already depleted the global soil, cropping soils, and global food production systems. So there's not much to sustain when the soil is already depleted. So we need to regenerate. So the term regenerative agriculture was proposed in the 80s. And in 2014, we also released a white paper called regenerative organic agriculture and climate change. It was successful in getting uh, the attention of many people, but uh, the actions or the changes is not happening uh, quick enough. So we thought it's a time that we should, you know, compile all the new you know, breakthroughs in science, scientific community, and also come up with, you know, actionable uh, steps for farmers, eaters, and the general public to take to increase the speed of the adoption of regenerative agriculture globally. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, Yichao. And I'm um, I'm struck uh, looking in the white paper to see that uh, there are some very encouraging numbers. And if I if I understood the data uh, correctly, I saw that 
annually, we're emitting something like 37.5 gigatons of carbon dioxide. And that uh, also annually, uh, regenerative cropping combined with regenerative grazing can sequester 55 uh, gigatons of carbon uh, per year, which is greater than the amounts being emitted. And so what we're saying here is that as this scales up, it can get to a, a point where we're actually sequestering more carbon than we're emitting. Is that correct? Yes, that's the power of soil. That's the power of nature. Currently, according to the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, so the global agriculture, agriculture contributes to about a quarter or to one third of the global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. But in the meantime, so the global soil or the terrestrial systems can be a carbon sink or a carbon source in the meantime. It's all about the balance. Carbon is coming to the soil, but it also it's being released from the soil to the atmosphere. The regenerative agricultural practice can turn the soil in, from a carbon source into a carbon sink if we can manage it appropriately. So that's the power of you know, nature and the power of regenerative agriculture. Yes, absolutely. And, and just digging into this a little further, I find that um, a lot of folks I talk with about the issue of the climate crisis understand that a lot of the carbon loading, a lot of the greenhouse gas loading in the atmosphere comes from the burning of fossil fuels. However, uh, it seems fewer people uh, have a real grasp on how uh, conventional and chemical-based uh, and mechanical uh, agricultural practices are also releasing a lot of carbon to the atmosphere and meanwhile degrading essentially the uh, biological communities in the soil upon which our, our food production depends. And, and I understand that some research indicates we've got only another 60 years or so globally of sustained uh, yields of food based solely on the on the destruction of the soil uh, microbiology. And I was wondering if you could walk us through that a little bit and just help us understand that really important uh, connection a little better. Sure. So the conventional industrial agriculture, uh, there's no doubt that it has depleted the global cropping soils, leading to many environmental problems, such as the decline in soil fertility, declined soil carbon stock, deteriorated water quality, loss of biodiversity, and increased greenhouse gas emissions. Because as I just said, industrial agriculture also contributes to about a quarter to one third of the global annual greenhouse gas emissions, according to the United Nations IPCC. It, this is because the conventional industrial agriculture has turned the global soils from a carbon sink into a carbon source contributing to the increased atmospheric carbon dioxide concentrations and exacerbated climate change. This is because conventional industrial agriculture uses too much chemical inputs, including the synthetic fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides, and uses a lot of uh, uh, tillage as, way of, you know, as a way of uh, disturbance to the soil. 
So these things are not good for human health. I mean, the chemical input. We know that, but they are also not good for soil microbial communities and soil health, causing soil to keep losing carbon. First, number one, when you apply these synthetic inputs, synthetic fertilizers, you bypass the plant microbial, microbial associations. So the, the soil, so the plants, the roots, they don't need to work with the soil microbes to get their nutrients over time because the divorce between the plants and the microbes, the biogeochemical processes that help stabilize the soil carbon are not taking place effectively in the soil. Therefore, soil is no longer a carbon sink. Number two, in addition, the, the chemical pesticides and herbicides, you know, these things we use to kill the insects or weeds, they tend to diminish the soil life and biodiversity. So the soil food web, which evolved with nature, is being damaged. Also, because as many people know that the conventional industrial agriculture is characterized by large operations of monocrop. For example, corn and soybean only in large areas of the United States. So these you know, monocrop systems give very little and undiverse organic matter input back to the soil, making the soil microbes less capable of building carbon stocks. So as a result, the conventional industrial agriculture characterized by the large monocrops and the over-application of chemicals, they not only cause environmental problems such as agricultural runoff, the dead zone of the Gulf of Mexico, and the health crisis, but also causes an imbalance of the carbon cycle, producing a net carbon dioxide emission and contributing to the climate crisis. But there actually has been a lot of research already showing that compared to the conventional industrial agriculture, which depletes soil carbon sink, so, uh, carbon stock, carbon sink, and soil health, the regenerative agriculture can regenerate soil carbon stock and soil health. For example, regenerative agriculture focuses on, focuses on the regeneration of soil, soil carbon, soil health, and it uses several principles to improve soil health and soil quality quality, including the elimination of chemical fertilizers and pesticides, and the diverse crop rotations, keeping soil covered, and using legume cover crops and natural fertilizers such as compost or manure as source of fertility. So these practices really can put carbon back to the soil. And because this is a win-win solution, because improved soil carbon stock the net carbon sequestration rather than emissions also means improved soil fertility or long-term more resilient food production. Yeah, it's, it's so great. Thank you for explaining yeah. that so clearly. And uh, one point I think that is uh, threaded through this conversation that comes up uh, from time to time in, in our work is this point around the appropriate uh, use of, of animal husbandry in agriculture 
And, you know, we've got a lot of friends who are very concerned about climate and sustainability and who have come to the conclusion that veganism and uh, agriculture without animals uh, is, is the answer. And, of course, uh, I've never spoken with a farmer who would agree with that perspective. And it seems a lot of the farming community already understands that for sustained agricultural production, animals have a very important role to play. And I was wondering if, if you could just speak to that uh, specific point uh, a bit here regarding the animals and the regenerative grazing and, and how that all kind of fits in this global picture of soil and water and climate. Yeah, this is a very interesting but important topic. I have been in a lot of discussion around this, you know, vegan or you know, veganic uh, farming. I think it's important to mention that animals have always been around on Earth. <laughs> so they, are, they have always been part of the ecosystem, the natural ecosystems. The soil, the, the soil, the animals and human beings and the vegetation, they co-evolved together. You know, for a long time, millions of millions of years. So they always belong, you know, together in a, in a natural ecosystem. And when it comes to soil health or regenerating soil health or soil carbon, so the regenerative grazing or the holistic um, uh, approach of grazing management, it's probably one of the most effective ways to regenerate soil carbon. First of all, you know, the perennial pasture system, it, it has, you know, the soil covered by the living um, plants all year round. That can eliminate, eliminate soil erosion and runoff and keep soil in place. That's number one. Number two, with the animals uh, managed in a rotational grazing way, they can stimulate the below ground growth, uh, the roots, and stimulate the carbon inputs such as the root exudates and other you know, rhizo deposits. And these are the things that can really help the soil microbes build soil carbon, especially the stable soil carbon in the soil. So the regenerative grazing is, I, I believe it's one of the solutions to regenerate soil. And recently, some of my collaborators uh, in the Midwest, for example, some collaborator, Professor Randy Jackson in the University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison, they have just started a new initiative called the Grassland 2.0. They also have a podcast if you want to check it out. They promote that, you know, restoring much of the, uh, the corn and soybean cropland in the up Midwest. It's the solution to, to, you know, to regenerate the ecosystems and soil health and even the rural communities and economy in the up, up, up Midwest. So I think it's important to keep it in a discussion and find and refine, and also it's important to refine the systems, uh, which way works best for certain you know, uh, scenarios or errors because that's a very important thing. You know, you have to adapt to different scenarios and different parts of the world. So it's important to keep it in the discussion because animals, they have been shown to be very effective when they are, you know, uh, 
uh, kept on the soil and help build soil carbon. And also, it's important to think that they have been around with us, co-evolved with us for millions of years. Absolutely. And I, I think it's important to, to mention that when we're talking about rotational grazing of cattle and uh, ruminants in general on landscapes uh, where you have continuous uh, cropping covering the land throughout the year, that is a very different scenario than the concentrated animal feeding operations, the CAFOs, uh, where these animals are, are, are squished together by the thousands and are being fed by corn and soy that's been monocropped and trucked in. Um, two very different scenarios. And so it's important that uh, in this conversation, folks understand that a regenerative grass-fed uh, bit of hamburger or uh, milk product or cheese product is going to be very different in its impacts than a conventional bit of hamburger or milk product or cheese product. Absolutely. Yeah. For, and also for human health. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was struck when I learned a few years back that literally the lipid structures, the fat structures uh, in the uh, animals and in their uh, milk are very different mm -hmm. depending on whether they're grazing on uh, plants uh, out on the field or being fed the corn and soy on the verge of essentially acidosis, which means their immune systems are in the process of collapsing. Um, right. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit for us? What you know about the impacts on the human health? Sure. And it's worth mentioning that the regenerative organic agriculture focuses on the regeneration, not only in the regeneration of soil uh, carbon or soil health, but also the regeneration of our food production systems, our, our overall immunity, our natural habitats, and the so-called the planetary health. Of course, soil regeneration is one of the most important regenerations because soil is where life started. So it is where we should start regeneration. And here at Rodell Institute, we have uh, a model to show how uh, you can do this regenerating, uh, regen uh, regenerative grazing. We have a facility called the hog facility because you know hogs, raising hogs is also uh, very important to economy in many parts of the United States. Instead of feeding them corn, soybean, all these things, we have the hog, hog facility, which is you know uh, open. So, and they, there are different sections around the hog facility in which we have uh, crop rotations, different, you know, pastures, clovers, and also small grains, and also no-till corn that these hogs can graze freely in rotation in these, you know, different sections around the hog facility. And we can see that these hogs are very happy and very healthy, and the soil have been shown to, to be being improved over the last five years. So that's, I think, it's the win-win solution. And in terms of um, general soil health and the, its relationship between, uh, with the human health, and it's, I think it's important to mention that overall, in the last 60 or 70 years, the nutrient density of food 
that is be, being consumed by the consumers in the United States has declined a lot. For example, the important minerals and nutritions have declined, the co their concentrations and contents have declined over time. For example, you have to eat, you know, you know six or seven uh, tomatoes now in order to get the same amount of nutrition you used to have in the 1960s. And because this is because, you know, we have, how we have been focusing on efficiency of production. We have this obsession with, you know, productivity rather than, you know, the quality. That has something to do, really has something to do with you know, the overall decline of, of human health and the increasing, you know, frequency of all these chronic diseases. I keep hearing, you know, from people, not just in the United States, but also in China, in other countries, that the, their family members are diagnosed with some strange and weird diseases that they never heard of. These things just keep happening. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, our food production systems, the decline in nutrient density, also the chemicals that are being used in our food production systems. So regeneration is not just about, you know, soil regeneration, it's a regeneration of the, uh, the people of the, and the planet. So that's the mission of Rodel Institute is to improve the health of the people and the planet through organic leadership. Beautiful, yeah. Thank you, Yichao. Let me um, remind our audience, this is the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today we're visiting with Dr. Yichao Rui from the Rodale Institute. And uh, I, I am so excited. I want to ask you a little about your background and, um, uh, you know, where you grew up and, and what it was like where you grew up and, and how your uh, professional and academic career has taken you to many different uh, spots around the planet. Can you tell us a bit about that, uh, your backstory? Sure. Um, as Aaron, you have just introduced, uh, I was born in China. I grew up in Eastern China and I have been, I have lived in Australia, different parts in China, Australia and different parts in the United States. So I definitely consider myself very lucky to be able to travel and study and work in different parts of the world. So about 10 years ago, when I was a PhD candidate in Australia, I attended an early career workshop where I heard a senior professor saying that being an academic means that you can't make money, but the good thing is that you can travel. So I think I'm among these you know, lucky people. So I've I traveled a lot, and I've been lucky to have the support from my wife to be doing that. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to live in different parts of the world and to learn about different soils and different cultures. This is very important to me. And as I said, I grew up in Eastern China in the 1980s and 90s. And my hometown was about 200 miles from Shanghai. When I grew up, I witnessed the environmental degradation of my hometown. You know, that was in the 90s and 80s and 90s, the economy in China started to boom. I could still remember the smell of the chemicals that my dad used to spray in our rice paddy field, and also the decline of the quality of the, our local waterways. So those things really made me think. And 
later became very interested in all these environmental problems and wanted to find the solutions. Studied biology in, in college and then and started my career in soil science and sustainability research. Over the years, I've always been thinking what this means for our generation. Because in 80s and 90s in China, the economy started to boom and people's life was getting better. Everything was hopeful for our generation that time. But we never knew that we would pay such a big price with all these environmental degradation and the health crisis. We were actually heading to a very dangerous direction. I, I recently learned that until 1970s and 1980s, a lot of the China's cropland was actually covered with green manure cover crops for fertility and the soil conservation before 1970s and 80s. And then starting 1980s, the green manure cover crops were abandoned in China because the chemicals became so dominant. Now we know there was a, a very high cost associated with this you know, transformation. And people start to look back to our history uh, what Confucius say <laughs> on how our ancestors were able to maintain soil fertility and long-term productivity organically to feed a large and dense population in, you know, 3,000 or 4,000 years history of China. People start using green manure cover crops again. So the same question, what do we want this world to be for our future generations? I think the answer is that we want a world that is more connected. People are more interconnected with each other and understand each other, respect each other, and care for each other. And a world where people are more connected with soil, with the nature and the Mother Earth, and be more humble and care for our soil and Mother Earth so our future generations can continue living on a livable planet. So I think this is what regeneration means to me. And this is what my own life experience taught me. It's so beautiful. It's, it's so full of wisdom. I, uh, I love this uh, connecting with each other, caring for each other, connecting more with soil and, and being more humble. And I love sharing with folks that this word humble, humility comes from the same, uh, uh, linguistic root as as the word human through the uh, the Latin and the the Proto-Indo-European language group, and uh, it it seems so important in some ways so simple but also so uh, essential in these times. And I'm wondering, um, Dr. Rui, if you could just share with us what did Confucius say? Do you, I, I don't know if you know right off the top of your head, but I imagine uh, he had some very specific recommendations. Yeah, Confucius say, for example, my son's names, love the, you know, Lu Shai means love the mountain. Confucius says that a man who loves a mountain is kind to everything. He's kind. Wow. I want my son to be kind. And Confucius says, as a man or any, any man or woman loves water, he's, he or she is smart smart to care for our human beings. 
So I think these are the very, as you said, very simple, but the very fundamental things we need to think about our place in the world, where we want to go. <laughs> these are actually very simple things, but I think we have forgotten all those things. Yes. Are you, what are you seeing in, in China today? Does it seem that uh, obviously we want to see things scaling and accelerating as it relates to the widespread adoption of regenerative practices? And we're seeing some progress here in the United States. Of course, we have a lot of work to do, uh, but what, what are you seeing in China uh, with respect to the return to regenerative practices? Yeah, speaking of China, I think it's important to remember that China and the rest still uh, share very different ideologies, very different, you know, traditions of ways of doing things, different political systems. So things might be very different from uh, in China and from the Western world. In, uh, in the Western world, things happen, I think, from uh, bottom to top. So you need these grassroots, you know, movement to create you know, changes in the society. And things in China, especially these big movements, I think it happens more often from top to bottom. So when, when the central government is making a plan to, you know, to adopt some practices or transform, transform a system, then very likely the societies and industry will adopt that quickly. And I, I, right now, I focus my work in the United States, but I do have seen that some positive changes being made uh, in China by you know, my fellow you know, researchers, my colleagues and scientists and people who work in the, uh, in the industry. I, I do see some positive changes. I'm hopeful that the policymakers and leadership group of, uh, of Chinese government can see the importance of regeneration and really uh, put that as a priority, top priority on the agenda uh, for the next uh, several decades. Uh, I remember a, a couple of weeks ago, the president of China, Xi Jinping, he promised that by 2000 and, uh, 2060, the year 2060, China promised to have zero emissions. And this is very ambitious, considering you know China has started industrialization not a long time ago. I hope that will come true because, considering the population and the size and the magnitude of China's land and and and, and industry, it's very important for the entire human beings. But all parts, all countries are important. So we hope this is really a. Um, uh, uh, coordinated effort yeah. that every single person in the world will be part of it mm. to regenerate the every inch of the earth and regenerate their personal health and immunity to 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 achieve a better world. Yeah, it's such a, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful message, and you have such a an eloquent way of articulating all of this coming from you know, massive science and data right down to uh, what, uh, you know, regular folks like myself, who I'm not a scientist, can, can really understand. It makes me hopeful and excited. Um, I, I am struck in, in some of my uh, studies of history 
uh, to learn that a big part of how we got to where we are here in the United States with massive amounts of monocropped corn and soy, for example, uh, was the result of Cold War policy in the agricultural arena, specifically from the 1950s and 60s, and that our food production was actually part of our foreign policy in you know a very scary world. And uh, obviously there was intense competition with the Soviet Union uh, through those decades. And just coming off of the Second World War, now uh, having a nuclearized... Uh, uh, world, uh, it, it makes sense to me that many of the decisions made during those times were made for, for reasons of, of fear and, and trying to protect national interests. Uh, however, it's, it's gotten us into a bit of a pickle at this stage. And I'm, I'm just curious, when China was uh, industrializing in the 80s and 90s and going more in the direction of uh, agricultural chemicals, was... Um, was that in part working with Western chemical companies? Was that part of the uh, the global corporations kind of uh, get, getting more integrated with China or did that just kind of come from within? Uh, I guess that has something to do with politics, which I don't want to talk about, but also I think that's part of the globalization yeah. and China, you know, need to open its door to to build its infrastructure and manufacturing starting from 1980s. And the United States started to move a lot of its industries to, you know, to China and Vietnam and other countries. And also to many United States, the companies in the United States need to sell their products, you know, for example, fertilizers or you know, pesticides, these things to a big market. I think that's what happened in, you know, between China and the United States. Uh, but I do think uh, China and the United States can work hand in hand yeah. to regenerate because, you know, China and the United States have a lot of things in common. We have a lot of, you know, a large area, both have, countries have large areas of cropland and both countries have big populations, although the population in the United States is not as big <laughs> as in China, but same. And we have some, both have some very good cropping soils. For example, the mollusks, which, you know, formed under the prairies, very productive, very productive, very fertile mollusks in the Midwest of the United States and in the Northeast of China, which feed a lot of people, but also, went through uh, serious degradation in the last, you know, 50 years or, you know, 60 years. So I see there is an opportunity that for scientists and, and people and politicians to work together as a joint effort to, to, to build a system that the regeneration can happen to, uh, in the same time in the United States, in China. We, you know, we share our knowledge for example, regenerative agricultural practices, how to refine these systems and make it easier for farmers in both countries to, you know, to achieve that and set a good example for, as a collaboration for the entire world. So that's the way I see it, more about opportunities, more about future. Yeah. 
That's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, speaking of collaboration, I just, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, some of the companies and organizations that are supporting uh, the Why on Earth Community podcast series, making this episode possible, along with our community mobilization work for soil regeneration, climate action, culture of kindness. Uh, our sponsors include Earth Coast Productions, the Lidge Family Foundation, Alpine Botanicals, Purium, Earth Hero, Vera Herbals, Growing Spaces, Soil Works, Earth Water Press, 1% for the Planet, Dr. Bronner's, and Wele Waters. Uh, of course, I also want to give a shout out to the many individuals in our Why on Earth Community Network who have joined our monthly giving program. And if you haven't joined and you'd like to, you can go to whyonearth.org and click on the donate button to set that up. If you give monthly at certain levels, you'll also get uh, shipments of the Wele Waters uh, uh, aromatherapy soaking salts for your own health and well-being uh, shipped to your home. Uh, and so thanks to everybody who is uh, making this series possible and our work possible uh, through your generous uh, support. Of course, uh, collaboration is key in a very important uh, new certification program uh, called the Regenerative Organic Certification. And Yi Chao, I know that uh, the Rodale Institute has been central along with Dr. Bronner's Patagonia, uh, Demeter, and, and others in launching this. And I was hoping you could tell us a bit about this. I know it's uh, mentioned in the white paper as well. And there's a wonderful uh, summary of the three areas of focus in this uh, certification regime. But uh, could you tell us a bit about the regenerative organic certification and uh, why, especially as consumers, it's important that uh, we're aware that it is now uh, hitting the marketplace? Sure. So the regenerative organic certification, the ROC, it's a new certification. It has three pillars, soil health, social justice or social fairness, and animal welfare. So for uh, farm operations or industry, you have to meet the standards, certain standard and requirement to be able to, you know, to be certified. And there are different stages, for example, the browns and silver and golden stage of the certification. There are different colors of the labels on the product. But it shows, I guess, it shows two things. First of all, it's a holistic way of, you know, producing, in producing uh, your products. It's not just about, you know, uh, eliminating chemicals, which, but, which is important and the basis of, you know, the ROC certification. In order to be regenerative organic certified, you have to be organic certifi certified first. So it's the basis, organic certification is the basis for the regenerative organic certification. So holistic way of you know, managing and producing your food is about you know, managing your soil, improving your soil over time, and treating an animals uh, uh, in, uh, and re respecting their, you know, welfare, and also uh, putting the social justice and fairness as an important place, uh, equally important place in this certification. And also, the second thing is that it's a journey. It's a journey. You have to start from somewhere. Regeneration is a journey. So you can keep improving your soil, keep refining your system and keep 
improving the health of the people and the product. So that's the way we see it. So we encourage more consumers and audience of this podcast to 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 learn about this uh, regenerative organic certification and also support this regenerative organic certification. That's beautiful. I, I love the statement that uh, regeneration is a journey. It almost sounds like a, a Confucius saying. Um, I will be I will be quoting you on that. I'm sure in in upcoming conversations. That's that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. Let me ask. Um, in in your in your day to day work there at the Rodale Institute, what what does that look like? Can you describe for us uh, what your days look like with the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, uh, currently, I oversee soil health research and education at Rodale Institute. So I conduct research on the impact of different agricultural practices on soil health and how this is related to climate change agricultural productivity, human health, and you know, other things included in the planetary health. I also teach soil health classes in different programs. For example, a program uh, that was founded by the USDA, the Organic Farming Certificate Program, which is a joint education program between Rodale and DelVal, the Delaware Valley University. And I gave invited talks to elementary school, high school, and college students. And last week, I made a short video about compost for my son's second grade science class, which is online right now. Oh, wow. I, I, <laughs> is, that, I, maybe that, is that something we could share uh, with the Wyoners community? Yes. Yeah, I have a YouTube link. Yeah, you can uh, find it on YouTube. I can share that with you. Thank you. Yeah, I also talk to farmers, consumers, and, and media, and policymakers, and the general public about soil health, agriculture, land use management, and other environmental issues. So, as I said, the mission of Rodell is to improve the well-being of the people and the planet through organic leadership. I use every opportunity that I have to interact with people and let them know the importance uh, regenerative agriculture. And I address that uh, primarily from a soil perspective. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm wondering also uh, if you might tell us a bit about uh, your, your family life and also how has COVID uh, impacted what you're up to both at work and at home? Sure. Uh, my wife and I, we have two sons. Tristan and Winston, they are seven and three years old. Both were born in Australia. So it's interesting to, to, to know that they are ethnic Chinese, Aussie born, and now live in Pennsylvania, United States. So I, like many families, uh, we are also impacted by the global pandemic. So we can't meet our family and friends like we did before. But that also means that we can spend more time together at home in our little garden, grow our own food. So we don't go to restaurant right now. We only go to grocery store once a week. And sometimes we, feel, we do feel stressed and the kids feel bored. So we do a lot of hiking during the weekends. We live in the Lehigh Valley area in, of the, uh, Pennsylvania. And we have a lot of mountains here. 
national and state parks around us. So we spend a lot of time outdoor. And I think this is part of our regeneration as well. We take this as an opportunity. Yeah. And yet it's still very challenging for, for my wife, especially for my wife and kids. This winter will be very long. I have to, you know, most of the time I have to maintain a busy work schedule. So my, my wife needs to take care of, of the boys and two cats at home almost 24 seven, which is super challenging. But my wife is a very positive and very creative person. She always tries to create different ways for the kids to spend their time at home, including painting, storytelling and playing games in the basement. We also use FaceTime and WhatsApp to, to talk to our family in China, our friends in, in Wisconsin, in Brazil, Australia, New Zealand all the time. So we try to be positive and learn about what's happening in the world and use this opportunity to teach our kids things like critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, I can appreciate all of that. It, it, uh, as, as challenging as it is, it also sounds lovely. And it sounds like your boys are getting a lot of wonderful um, education and nourishment. I'm, I'm curious, does your wife also play chess like you do? No. No? <laughs> yeah. My son, as I, as I mentioned uh, before we started recording, he's now, he's now 18 years old and, and he beats me fair and square. We're about 50-50 on the last five to 10 games that we've played. So it's, it's a challenge now. Yeah. Same, my son, seven year old Tristan, he can beat me every time now. Oh my He's gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, oh my goodness, wow. Do you play Go with them also? Uh, yeah, sometimes. And there are different, different types of goals, you know, you know, Chinese girls and the, the, the international girls. I, but I, right now I focus on chess. I think it would be better to focus one thing at a time because you know they're still young. So when they're a little bit older and more familiar with all the rules of the game, then maybe that will be a time to 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 play more diverse types of you know sports. Absolutely, yeah. Well, listen, I am I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to speak together today, and um, you you've shared a lot of really important information with us. So thank you for that. But before we sign off, I, I want to ask you, what do you envision as a possible future for us all in you know, 20 or 30 years time from now? Sure. I would like to be more optimistic and envision a better future because uh, over the years, I've seen more people start to care for the soil and earth, especially young people. As I said, last week I made a short video with my family on, about compost for my son's second grade remote science class. And you can see that these second graders, they were very interested in it. And I've also taught soil health management classes in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And many of those students, they still in touch with me, still stay in touch with me. And some of them have started their organic farming and gardening. So these things and these people, they make me feel optimistic. So I hope that in 20 years time, we as a world use less chemicals and less tillage on our soil. We can't, we can't get there overnight, but the regeneration is a journey 
we have to start from now. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Well, and uh, before, before we close out, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience today? Sure, as I said, uh, many people would, I think, would uh, agree with me that um, regenerative agriculture, it's a powerful tool for regenerating our uh, systems. And I have a collaborator in Canada, Dr. Cindy Prescott, a collaborator of mine, a professor in forest ecology and management in the University of British Columbia in Canada. Last week, she said to me that regenerative agriculture and the soil carbon building, it's the most exciting development in her 40 years of career. So this is a time we should do it. Let's do it together. That's absolutely wonderful. Well, Yi Chao, thank you so much for visiting with us today. And uh, I'll make sure everybody uh, has the links in the show notes to get to the work being done by Dr. Rui. Uh, you can go to yichaorui.com, uh, the rodaleinstitute.org. On Twitter is uh, Yichao Rui. And also on LinkedIn, I'll provide the, uh, the links there. The Regenerative Organic Certification uh, information can also be found at regenorganic.org. It sounds like we'll try to get this uh, compost video shared as well. And then, we'll make, yes, we'll make sure there is a, a, a good link uh, to get to the white paper um, called Regenerative Agriculture and the Soil Carbon Solution. So, Dr. Rui, thank you so much. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me, Aaron. Hey friends, so we just had a wonderful discussion with Dr. Yichao Rui, and uh, I just checked out the short video that he made with his two boys for his son's uh, second grade class about compost, and thought it would be really fun uh, to share with you right here at the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoy. Hello everybody, do you know what this is? This is a compost pile. Dad, what is compost? A compost is a soil amendment that can enrich the soil with fertilizers. Everybody can make compost at home. How do you make compost? Okay, follow us. We'll show you how to make compost. Hey, what sticks? Dad, do you make compost from these food waste? Yes, actually we can make compost from these food waste because they contain organic matter. So during organic matter decomposition, everything will be decomposed by the microorganisms and they will turn to the compost, a natural fertilizer that is good for the soil. All the food comes from soil and they will go back to the soil that is the circle of life. When you have a finished compost, you can apply them onto the soil. They can help enrich the soil and help the plants grow.
The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org backslash support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.